evening. Tonight we return to the book of Judges, the sixth chapter. Judges, the sixth chapter. We look at the fourth in the series of lessons or messages, whatever you want to call them, on the life of Gideon. The book of Judges, chapter six. We just sang the song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine, oh what a foretaste of glory divine. We look tonight at the subject before us of the Lord's assurance of his presence to Gideon. The Lord's assurance of his presence in the life of Gideon. We have seen in the study thus far in the life of Gideon that God gave Gideon a call to defeat the Midianite army in battle. We found that the Lord made it very clear in this call that he was going to use the instrument of the man called Gideon. We saw that Gideon had a lot of questions at first, and that he said, well, if you're really with us, you're going to enable us to defeat this army, why are we in such a mess that we're in right now? And where's all the miracles that you used to work? Gideon, while he is recorded as a man of faith in Hebrews 11, yet he was a man like Elijah of old in all of us, a man of like passions. He had his moments of weakness, as we all do. He saw his excuses that he gave unto the Lord. He didn't have any gifts, no very little talent. He came from a very poor family, one of the smaller tribes in Israel. So he felt like that God had chosen the wrong person, perhaps made a mistake in calling him into his service. Then last week we looked at the sign that Gideon requested. He was known for that, as we will remember David and his weaknesses with Bathsheba. That will be what he will stand out in our minds for. We remember Gideon as a man who was forever wanting reassurance from God by signs. We saw that God condescended to give him a sign. That does not mean that he approved of that, but he accommodated Gideon's lack of faith. We then went to the New Testament and saw our Lord Jesus Christ said, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and no sign shall be given unto the prophet Jonas. So that if God has revealed himself to us in the gospel, And that is the greatest manifestation we shall ever hope to receive in this life of an assurance that he is with us. That if God has said, I will dwell with and talk with sinful people through the person of my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then that's a greater sign of God's presence in our life than if an angel came down from heaven or if an earthquake took place or even if one rose from the dead. The gospel is the sign that we look unto. Now then tonight, let's look in Judges chapter 6 and go back up to a verse in verse 14. Verse 14, and we want to look at the Lord's assurance to Gideon. The Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Have not I sent thee? Now, if you gave me a wish or a list of responsibilities tonight, and you told me it was my responsibility to go over to uh, Iran and to deal with the Alatola and 
take care of that whole group over there. And you said, now don't worry anything about it. For the Gables, we'll be with you. Uh, I would have some real reservations about taking you up on that. And you know why? Because you just don't have a whole lot that you can help me with over there. I need more than good wishes if you'd send me on an errand like that. And that's because of who you are. And it's because of who I am. But my people, when God places the first person singular pronoun in there, when he says, I will be with you, that makes a difference to enable us to face whatever obstacles may come into our path. Have not I sent thee? What greater reassurance can a believer have than to have the promise that God personally is with them in their life and will never leave them nor forsake them? Have not I sent you? This personal pronoun speaks much as to the character of our God. He's an infinite God. The reason I would have great fear if you sent me on the mission I just described is because you don't have the power or the wisdom to back up my protection. But the personal God of heaven and earth has infinite resources of wisdom and power to substantiate Gideon in whatever task he calls him to. God has called us as a church to work together to carry out the task of advancing the gospel in this area and in other areas which His providences allow us to do so. And we are not sufficient for the task, but God is. And if we recognize His infinite greatness, then whatever He has purposed to bring the past through the ministry of the Open Baptist Church, He will accomplish that because He is the great I or the I Am. Go over to the book of Exodus and you'll find that when Moses requested some answer from the Lord as to what he should say when he was to go before Pharaoh and who sent him and who authorized him, God said, just just say these words, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. If you can imagine a, a shepherd being called upon to go before a king and telling the king, now you let all of this race of people free. They're your slaves. I command you now to let them free. Well, of course, that king's going to say, well, who are you to come in here and tell me? What authority do you have to tell me this? And in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, Moses anticipated that problem. And so he said uh, in verse 13, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Now notice the person of God, the great I Am, the ever-present God. God is not a God of the past or of the future. He is the God of the present. He has no boundaries. He has no limitations upon his wisdom, upon his power, upon himself. He's not bound by created events. He transcends all of them. And that's what sets him apart from all the other gods 
that men make up in their minds, which are called idols. You know how easy it is to form an idol? All you have to do is think of God in limited terms. That makes you an idolater. By saying, well, he's not all wise, or he can't, he can't do this, or he can't do that. Go with me to Psalm chapter 115. Psalm 115. Here's what makes the great I Am different from all the other deities of men. Verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy true sake. Wherefore, why should the heathen say, Where is now their God? That is, the unbeliever, the pagan, ask the believer, Where is your God at? Show him to us. What kind of a God is he? And here is the reply which the child of God is to give. Our God is where? He's in the heavens. What does that mean? He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. That's how God is different from the gods of the heathen. Look in verse 4. It describes how false idols are formed. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them, so is every one that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Here is the best definition you will find in the Bible of the true God of heaven and earth, how he's different from the gods of men. Is He is without limitation. He is able to do whatsoever he pleases, and that makes him distinct. So if a person comes to us and asks, what kind of a God do you serve? We serve the great, infinite I Am, the ever-present deity who is able to do whatsoever he pleases to do. I remember one time years ago I was listening to a television evangelist on the the, uh, television, and he was... uh, giving his evangelistic presentation of how that Christ had died on the cross and then uh, how that uh, God had done this and that. And he said, now, God has done all that he can do. The rest is up to you. And I was sitting there, and then he got in Romans chapter 10. He says, we're the only hands that God has to feel with. And our eyes are the only eyes that God has to see with. And our ears are the only ears that God has to hear with. And our feet are the only feet that God has to walk with. And I called for Carolyn, my wife, and I said, Come in here, Carolyn, I want you to see a wheelchair God, an invalid God, who can't do anything unless the creature lets him. Now that fellow may have had good intentions, but he was an idolater. He was preaching a limited God. A God who is so limited by the actions of the creatures that he cannot bring to pass his plans and his purposes unless the creatures permit him to do so. My friend, you can't worship a God like that. If God has limitations and there are powers greater than him, then you better go to those powers and start praying to them. No, our God's in the heaven. And so Gideon needed some type of a reassurance 
How am I going to go handle those Midianites out there? All these obstacles. You need to have the understanding that the great I Am that was with Moses is with you also. Now, this is the name and the title which our Lord Jesus Christ claimed for himself. Did you know that? When he came to earth, he claimed this title. Those that say you can read the Bible and nowhere you'll find that Jesus ever claimed to be God. Well, that wasn't the way the Jews understood it. They knew what he was claiming because he claimed the title, I Am, for himself. And the Jews rent their clothes and said, blaspheme, he's claiming to be Jehovah. Look over in John chapter 8, verse 58 for this. This is the very title which God went by in the Old Testament, the great I Am, the ever-present, infinite, unlimited being. John chapter 8, verse 58. The Lord Jesus Christ unashamedly took upon himself the right to bear that name. Verse 58 of John 8. We'll go back up into verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, what? I am. Now look how they responded. Verse 59, Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. They said, How do you know Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. Abraham lived hundreds of years ago. And Jesus said, Before Abraham ever had an existence, I existed. <laughs> now, that didn't claim him to be God. I don't know what it is. You see, the problem that the liberal has today, he likes to look at Jesus as a good moral, ethical teacher, but he doesn't like to give him his right and honor as God. And the liberal has a problem, because nobody can be a good moral, ethical teacher and go around claiming to be God if he isn't. He can't do that. And so Jesus claimed this great name, this personal pronoun, being the ever-present, infinite, unlimited God of heaven and earth, who's able to do whatsoever he pleases, Jesus said, I'm that person. I'm that person here in the flesh. God is self-existing. He doesn't have to have influences or sources outside of himself to complete him being. He is the great I Am. He was and is and is yet to come, the Almighty God. Go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. That's the kind of God who God purposed and promised to be with Gideon. He is, he was, and he is that which is to come the infinite, almighty, unlimited being. Now, folks, that's the God that we profess to know. That's the God who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's the being. That if he gives us a commission to call us into some service, if it be to go over and deal with the person of Alatola Khomeini, when a God like that gives you a commission, 
you can rest assured he's going to back up what he has called you to do. Now, has he called you into salvation? Hmm? Have you? How many of you without a show of hands believe that he has saved you tonight? Hmm? You believe he has? That he can back up that which he has done. Hmm? You see that? In other words, you don't have to go through life depending upon self-effort in order to gain a favor with God. If God can save you, he can keep you in a saved state. And I in no way negate human responsibility, but nevertheless, God is the Savior of men. Jonah learned that in the belly of the whale, that salvation is of the Lord. And if that's the case, if he begins the good work in you, he is able to complete it to the day of redemption. So that's what kind of a God. If he's called you to some area of service, and the service is difficult, you get discouraged at the results. Remember, he is the God who is called, and he is able to sustain. Many of the great missionaries of the past were called to foreign countries, and they labored for years and years before they ever had a first convert. Many of them would have to study for eight to nine years just to learn the language, and then God would begin working in their lives and give them a harvest. The great I Am hath sent us. The Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega. The story is told of a preacher who was preaching one night, and he was waxing eloquent in oratory, and he was bringing out how that Jesus was the Alpha, and the Omega, that's the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet, incidentally. That he is the first and the last. Like in our language, he would be the A and the Z. And a little old lady was getting so excited as he, he was preaching that she just suddenly jumped up and blurted out, and he's everything in between. <laughs> well, that's about the truth. He's not only the beginning and the ending, he's everything in between. God the Creator created us. God the Redeemer has redeemed us. And He will present us faultless before the throne. And we'll be able to look back one day and see that He was everything in between. He walked with us day by day and step by step. And when we stumbled and fell, rather than denouncing us, while well, He reached down His hand in grace and mercy and lifted us up. As Spurgeon said, the child of God may fall on the rock, but he'll never fall off of the rock. And our rock is the Lord Jesus Christ. We as his people stumble and fall daily, but we never fall off of the rock because the rock is stronger than we. He's the great I Am. He has all power given him in heaven and earth, Matthew 28 and verse 18, when he gave the great commission, all authority given him in heaven and in earth. So when the Lord inquires, have not I sent thee, there should be no room, no ground, no excuse, no hesitation for Gideon to start asking for signs to really prove whether God is God or not. If God is who he is, then we should respond immediately. Surely I will be with you. Now let's look at some people that he also gave this assurance to. Genesis chapter 28, he not only gave it to Moses, but he gave it to the patriarch Jacob. Genesis chapter 28, 
Behold, I am with thee, will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. What a promise. Jacob, you're going to inherit the land. And I will not cease in my purpose until I have fulfilled that purpose. Did you know it though? Behold, I am with thee. I'm with you. That was God's reassurance to the patriarch Jacob. Go to the book of Joshua, chapter 1, and verse 15. Joshua is the one who took over after Moses left the scene. Joshua need reassurance. The first chapter of the book of Joshua, and down in verse 13 first. Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed and all the mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord hath given your brethren rest as he hath given you. And they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then shall you return into the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side, Jordan, toward the sun rising. And they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us we will do, and whithersoever thou sendest us we will go. God reassured Moses that he'd be with him, and he also now reassured Joshua the leader who took over in Moses' state, in Moses' place, that he would be with him. Well, you say, that's all well and good. But that just has to do with those Bible figures back there. What does that have to do with me? Well, let's look over in Psalm chapter 46. We find that this great God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and all of those great men and women in the Old Testament era, is the same God today. And he's the God of his people. And he does not forsake them. Psalm chapter 46 and verse 7. The Lord of hosts is where? He's with us. The God of who? Jacob is our refuge. And Jesus referred to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that God was their God. Meaning that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were still alive. And that's what Christ was pointing out there when he brought that out. That although Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died in their physical body, God was still their God. That is, he was still ministering unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you die in this body, that doesn't mean that God ceases to be your God. He continues to meet your needs in that intermediate state until the resurrection takes place. And so he made a promise to Jacob. Jacob, you're going to have a land. Abraham, you're going to have a land. Isaac, you're going to have a land. Now, ever so often then some people come along and they say, well, now, wait a minute. Those people died without ever getting to live in the land of Palestine. Ah, but read your New Testament. Read Hebrews chapter 11. And you'll find that Abraham looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And that city wasn't in the land of Palestine in Jerusalem on this earth. That was the heavenly Jerusalem that Abraham saw. 
that God would place him in a land of his own on the other side of the resurrection. Meaning that when that resurrection day comes, that promise that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of God's people through the ages, will be brought to completion. He'll give us a city. And that city we see descending from God out of heaven in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It's a city in which Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob shall never have any tears. They'll never have any pain. They'll never have any sickness. They'll never have any death. And Jesus said that whosoever believes in me shall sit down in the kingdom of God with who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there is a day coming, a land, in which God has promised to his people. And those people are all of those who look to him in sincere faith and trust. Now let's go to Isaiah chapter 43. How does this relate to us? Isaiah chapter 43, it means that when we go through trials and the floods come and the fires burn, that God has still promised to be with us. Isaiah, the 43rd chapter. Verse 1, But now thus saith the Lord God that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. What a precious promise. Last night we saw something occur out at our home. Most of you know we live up on top of the hill. We have a lake down at the bottom of the hill and the dam that we have to cross to get up to our house. We saw the water come across that dam for the first time last night and uh, in the big rain that we had. And I went out and watched it going on, went on a little ways down the road, down into the little community, and saw a little creek that normally wouldn't have it, five or six inches in it. And it was nearly out of its bed, about 30 feet wide and probably 8 or 9 feet deep in a raging flood. How quickly the floods can come. And floods can come very quickly in your life and mine. Everything may be going along like a little peaceful stream. And suddenly the winds begin to blow, the lightning snaps, and the thunders roll. And we say, where is our God? Where's God at? It happened to the disciples when they were out in the boat in the sea. Jesus was asleep in the midst of them. And the waves began to blow. And they said, oh, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? And he got up and rebuked them and said, oh, ye of what? Little faith. Ye of little faith. You have some, but don't you recognize who I am? <laughs> Still the waves, they'd say. Yes, they wanted that. But what they failed to recognize is that he's the one which also blows and causes the rivers to rise and the fires to burn. And yet he says, they'll never hurt you. They're only trials to blot out the impurities in your life. But good will come from it. I'm with you. I'm with you. So even in tribulation and trials... 
Gideon was promised that the great I am would be with him. We have that same promise, my people. That whatever comes, we have the consolation. Our God is with us. The Lord has promised to be with the church. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And then the great consolating passage in Hebrews chapter 13. The great summation of all of this essence of having the ever-presence of God in our life. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. That will solve covetousness. Covetousness, what is it? It's an unlawful, inordinate desire to have that which the providence of God has not so allotted in your life. It's just stretching out to take that which God's providence has not ordained for you. It's always wanting a little more to live above the means which God's providence has ordered for us. What's the lesson, the antidote for covetousness? The Lord has said, be content with what you have. I'll meet your needs, for I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So then that we can boldly say, in light of this understanding of the great I am being with us, I'll not fear what men do. How often we fear men. How often we're afraid of the storms and the adversities that come into the life. But if we know that our God be with us, then who can be what? Who can be against us? Is he with you tonight? Do you know him in the free pardon of sin? Is he the one who has made himself known unto you as the Holy One of Israel, a just God who will not turn away from sin, a God who will hold every sin accountable? but a God who is enabled by His justice and His mercy to welcome repenting sinners to the substitutionary work of His Son. If anyone is here tonight who is not a Christian, may I present to you the God of heaven and earth. He can work a work of deliverance in you and present you faultless before His throne because His salvation is backed up by infinite wisdom and infinite power. Now, if there be such a God as this, then let us not fear what man shall do unto us. Let's stand tonight.